welcome back to Catacomb Synod Practicals, where we talk about the practical parts of running a Catacomb Synod house church. And today we are going to be talking about evangelism. And for my deacons in the deacon chat, let me apologize to all of them. I get weird when talking about evangelism, even though... I have been an evangelist and an apologist for the Christian faith for about nine years now. About nine years now, I have been doing apologetics and evangelizing to people, sometimes broadly, sometimes peer-to-peer. But I don't like talking about the topic of evangelism very much. Let me explain. Before I was a Lutheran, I was in Baptist churches, and before I was in a Baptist church, I was in an evangelical church. And in the evangelical church, here was what was peddled to us day in and day out. Sunday in, Sunday out, in the youth group, on Wednesday nights, sometimes Saturdays, every single time we got together, we were told this. You got to be sharing your faith, because if you're not sharing your faith and constantly bringing more and more people into this church in particular, you are responsible for people going to hell. Do you like the thought of your friends burning for all of eternity? (laughs) No, you don't. So you really need to be sharing your faith, inviting them to church, solving all of their problems, and be there. Be on fire for Jesus. Let's have a revolution for Jesus. Let's make this a movement and a revolution. Be the revolution. You need a Jesus revolution, don't you? That's what you want. That's what you have to be. And if you're not evangelizing, you're not taking your faith seriously as a Christian. Can you even call yourself a Christian unless you are always bringing other people into the faith? And so on and so forth. It took a long time for me to stop feeling guilty that I was really bad at that when I was a kid and a teenager and a young adult. Don't get me wrong, I always wanted to do something like evangelism and I have been blessed by our Lord with the experience that I have in evangelizing. But those pastors that impressed that on me at a young age missed something maybe intentionally, maybe not, they missed something incredibly important that everybody in the catacomb synod ought to know. First problem with it. It says here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up itself in love. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. The evangelist is an office 
in the body of Christ. God gives that office. It should be considered a spiritual gift that somebody would go out and do what is called external evangelism. External evangelism is that duty of the evangelist to go to non-Christians and bring the word to them in the hopes that they do not resist what the Holy Spirit is presenting them, and instead they become Christians. They accept that grace in the faith that God gives them. That is the duty of an evangelist, a specific job in the church. Not every Christian is called to this. And a church that tells you that you are automatically called to share your faith 24-7 in a near vocational sense is just lying to you. That is not always your job. You are not always called to be the evangelist doing external evangelism. You are, at some point in your life, probably going to be called to do internal evangelism. Internal evangelism is much more important to Holy Scripture. It is the care of fellow believers' faith using the word of God. Most Christians are called to do this, almost all of us. Maybe a little kid, a toddler, is not called to do so, although it certainly strengthens my faith when I hear my child sing, you know, I'm so happy I'm a part of the family of God and other hymns like that. But ultimately, we recognize as Lutherans that the word works faith in the believer even if they are already a believer. Much in the same way, Holy Communion strengthens our faith, hearing the Word of God preached to us and brought to us for admonishment and edification strengthens our faith. A mother who reads the Bible to her baptized children is doing internal evangelism. A pastor who rightly divides the word and preaches law and gospel is evangelizing a congregation of people who are already Christians. The point therein is to keep people in the faith, to strengthen their faith, to build them up. You'll notice that in Ephesians 4, St. Paul brings up the office of evangelist once, while everything else is aimed at at building up the unity of the church, building up the maturity of the faith, that is far more important. Now, I'm not denigrating the part of the Christian life that is fulfilling the Great Commission, making disciples of all nations, going out and winning souls, as our fundamentalist Baptist friends would say. I actually wish Lutherans would appropriate the term soul winning because that's really cool sounding. But I digress. Ultimately, yes, we have to do our evangelism. When the time calls for it, we must remember Ecclesiastes says there is a time for everything under the sun. And for many in a catacomb synod house church, it might not be time for you to do that. In fact, 
if you are in a state of extreme persecution, say somebody out there is in the Middle East in a certain location where being a Christian publicly is banned, or trying to win over converts to the Christian faith is banned, maybe you don't evangelize at all. Not in the external sense, anyway. Internal evangelism is going to be far more important in that case. But so far as it depends on you, depending on your circumstances, it is up to God when you enter a season of bringing people in or not. And you must prayerfully consider whether that time is now or if maybe the focus for now is on building up the saints under your care. Now that said, when it does come time to do external evangelism, everybody in your house church says, you know, we're feeling pretty sparse right now. There's four or five of us and it's been this way for six months. You know, we'd, we'd like more saints. We'd like to do more of it, but it's been this way for six months and we can, we can feel that pull that we want more fellowship. Okay, let me give you some techniques that are going to help you build your house church. One, invite people. It really is that simple. Invite people to church. You don't have to do goofy, gimmicky methods of evangelism. You don't have to do street preaching. You don't have to pick up a sign that says, God says repent, like our soul-winning friends do. Honestly, one of the most effective means of evangelizing people is to say, Hey friend, do you want to come with me to my church on Sunday? It's a house church. It's pretty independent. It's pretty small, but uh, we have something solid going on. And I'd like you to come with me to lunch after the service or something. And I'd like to see what you thought about it. Something like that. Make sure it's somebody that you know and it's somebody that you care about. It's that simple. Scripture attests in Romans 10.17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word concerning Christ. The easiest way for somebody to go out and hear the word about Christ, the gospel, is to bring them to church, where they get to see all of that in action. And they hear the gospel when you read the creed out, they hear the gospel in the sermon, they see people living the gospel. And if it's a communion service with all of the attendant promises predicated on the shed blood of Christ for all sinners, yes, the word of God will do what the word of God says it does. Now, is that necessarily a guarantee that they're going to convert? No, not really. <laughs> Grace is resistible. And when people are confronted with the free offer of God's grace, salvation by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, a lot of times they're going to resist. And they're not going to want that, right? But you don't have to be weird about it. You just invited them. You make sure they have a good time and that everybody welcomes them with open arms. And then, you know, treat them well. Continue to care for them. The worst that happens is they say, eh, that's not for me. And then they don't talk to you about it for a few months. And then at some point, maybe they want to attend again. 
Who knows? Maybe you just planted a seed that led to them being saved. By the grace of God, I hope that happens. Another evangelism strategy is the passive evangelism of Christian conduct. And this manifests in one of a couple ways. When you are a dedicated, devoted Christian, a good pietist, really, if you are seeking to do the best job you can at your employment, you're not lazy, you're willing to work extra hours, you don't complain if you get passed up for promotion, you're doing your best out there, you are distinct. You don't go to the raucous parties with the drinking and the, and the hooch and the ladies and stuff. You don't like swearing very much. You're shown to just be a hard-working, friendly, open worker at your job that people see that. And if they've been having a rough time, you can say, hey, what's going on, man? Maybe I can help out. You know, they tell you they've been having a hard time at home. They've been having troubles with the wife or something. And then you can give them advice according to the scriptures. And they know that you're that guy they can rely on. They know that you're different. Non-believers can see that. That is passive evangelism. Because for a lot of guys like that, they see that and they go, well, I kind of want that. I want to know what makes this guy so different, and if it's because he's a devout Christian, maybe I should get curious about it. Okay. But also, Jesus says in the Gospel of St. John that they're going to know we are Christians by the way we love one another. This is why I am so cagey about external evangelism, bringing people to the faith. Yes, it needs to be done. It cannot be neglected. My goodness, has Lutheranism just rotted away to a point of near death on account of so many Lutheran churches refusing to do evangelism. But it can never, ever, ever take priority over the well-being of Christians. The individual congregation must love the faithful more than the non-believers. I know that sounds controversial, especially in the seeker-sensitive era that we are in, but it is simply true. If you bring somebody to the faith because you're always evangelizing them, and then you evangelize them into a group that does nothing for them, are they going to stay in the faith? For that matter, for people that are already Christians, that are cradle Lutherans, that are in your home congregation, if you do not love them with agape love and help take care of their needs, they are going to stop recognizing you as Christian, and that is going to damage their faith. Period. I am so sick of the spiritual child abuse that happens with churches that care more about the outsider than they do about the faithful. They care more about their mission trips in Africa and their outreach to urban areas or whatever than they do the well-being of their brothers and sisters in Christ that they see every single Sunday. Churches like this are abusing their own flock through neglect. And they have the audacity to say there's some great community when they won't even help young men get jobs. They won't give food to the poor that are in their midst first. 
they won't do anything like that because you want to get those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers. We got to get more people. We got to have a church with five, six, seven hundred people in it. Yeah, okay, buddy. That's five, six, seven hundred potential non-believers in your church that you never bothered to catechize. Or if you do, it's through some sort of meat grinder, pre-planned, pre-packaged module with a bunch of halfway to meaningless fill-in-the-blanks on a sheet of paper that they're not going to keep. It's not real evangelism. It's just about getting butts into pews. Sorry, stadium seats. I know that's typically the preference of churches like that. But I digress. We must put a priority on loving one another as Christians before addressing and loving the non-believer. Now that said, the seeker-sensitive movement had a point. Kind of. The question is, how comfortable should a non-believer be when they enter into the doors of a church for the first time? I would say you should do what you can to make them comfortable. Once you've invited them to church, show them that you're friendly, accepting, you're, you're not too weird. Naturally, some things about the Christian faith and practice of it are going to be weird to a non-believer. That's okay, right? Especially if they have no experience with liturgy. When you say, the Lord be with you, and they say, and also with you, they're going to go, uh, why are we all repeating stuff? Are we robots here? <laughs> That's okay. That's natural. But eventually, as they get used to it, they understand the great parts about that. The seeker-sensitive movement asks, well, what if we make it really, really warm and inviting and um, metropolitan in its own way. How much of our monthly church budget can be spent on the panini press at the cafe? Speaking of the cafe, how big is our cafe and can we expand it to include a second coffee bar? And discount prices, of course, and uh, people that are new, they get their coffee for free. Their donut for free, too, definitely. Eh? I don't like that. I don't like that one bit. The church is not a business. The church should not be running some sort of for-profit business in it. We can talk about church finances at some other point, maybe next week. But using church finances for evangelism should be for helping out the evangelist, getting souls, helping him to invite people to church. And if there's poster boards in the city, you can have pamphlets and ads for your church, put them up there, call that good. Some of the church budget on evangelism and stuff could be for training people with apologetics. Not that apologetics actually convert people. No, it's the word of God and it is the gospel that converts people. But apologetics does serve a function of strengthening the faith of believers and it also helps clear some of the mental roadblocks that non-believers have. Things that help them to resist the faith. So when you bring up something like C.S. Lewis's Lord, Liar, Lunatic argument, or when you bring up the ontological argument, what you're really doing is breaking down the intellectual strongholds, the bad faith arguments in these people's heads that basically provide a stumbling block, a roadblock for them when maybe normally they would go to God. That's a more productive use of, say, church funds for evangelism, is training your people up 
So they are built up in the faith. They understand the arguments that uh, people are going to bring up and how to break down those objections and respond to them, how to defend the faith, all sorts of things like that. That's a good use of it. But when you suck up all your time in saying, let's make these people happy, let's make non-believers happy, and that will turn them into Christians, well, is that really going to do the trick? Is that how God says people are brought to the faith? No. I mean, there's joy in the Christian faith, to be certain. And there's nothing wrong with having coffee after church. <laughs> there's nothing wrong at all with that. But when that becomes the main thing and what you're about and how you conduct evangelism, well, it feels kind of fake. And a lot of non-believers that I've spoken to told me that. It felt like it was some sort of fake thing because all of these people that are inviting them to some Baptist or evangelical seeker-sensitive church all they want is another notch in their belt, another number in their spreadsheet that says we brought X number of people to the faith and we've systematized it, running Church Incorporated this way. Ah, yes, our quarterly evangelism profits are up. That's hollow. That's not actually caring for people. That's not a minister or a deacon being a seal soga or soul carer. No, that's... That's just seeing people like numbers, and the church should be the last institution on earth that ever sees believers as just another number, for crying out loud. But I digress. When do you know that it's time to grow your church? When do you know that it's time to grow your house church? Well, you should be sensitive to the signs of that like an aging congregation when everybody is old and you understand if you don't do evangelism the, the building is going to end up being sold off and turn into i don't know a clothing store or a sephora god forbid churches that don't do evangelism end up aging out and disappearing it's very sad that's one sign that i hope you never have to see in your own lifetime but another one would be well People want to grow. They want to see more. They're on fire for evangelizing. You want more Christians in your building, whether that's your house or a barn. There's one catacomb synod church that I've heard of that they, they just run church from a barn. And they've got a whole lot of people, right? That's what their dream was, and thank God for it. But you'll know you'll know it if you are aware of it, that there will be a time in which you're going to want to do external evangelism, inviting people, growing this. And don't be afraid of taking congregants from other churches. At this point, there are so many apostate churches that you are not sheep stealing, you are not sinning against God if you take somebody out of a dispensationalist church and you bring him to your Lutheran house church. You're doing no disservice to them by taking them somewhere where the word of God is rightly preached and the sacraments are rightly administered, as opposed to being told, hey, um, live your life for a foreign country and, and give yourself for that or something. So when do you not do external evangelism? When do you not focus on bringing people in? Because again, the life of the church is something like a sine wave between periods of discipleship and periods of evangelism. 
discipleship is always going to continue, but sometimes it requires more discipleship. If there's an argument over theology and that needs to be cleared up, if there are new converts in your house church that just need time with the Bible and they need to focus on that, that's a time for discipleship. If it is a danger to you and your well-being to evangelize, don't do external evangelism for a while. Wait for that to clear up or wait until you can escape that persecution. There was not much street preaching in the days of the catacombs in the early church. Karen freaking to you. There wasn't much of that. There wasn't much external preaching when you knew that if you went out in public and started proclaiming Jesus, you could get your head chopped off. Remember, St. Paul says, nobody ever hated their own flesh. God is not going to blame you if you are looking at losing your job, losing your family, any number of horrible things happening to you on account of you proclaiming the word. There are some men who are called to make that risk, to make that step. If you're running a house church, you are not one of those men because you have people in your house church that you are caring for. You are a seal saga. Remember that. You are a soul carer, a deacon there to help them. You're not there to go put yourself at risk and thus put the entirety of the home congregation at risk. Please be aware of that. So it's something to think about. If you guys feel that need to grow, don't let your comfort with the standard Sunday life of the church impede that need to change and to grow a bit. But if circumstances are such where it just can't happen, especially if maybe you're in a place with a lot of churches already and a lot of people are already converted, or maybe they've been told bad things about the catacomb synod and you understand maybe that could get you in a lot of trouble. It's okay to back off on that. But that said, if you keep it simple and you focus on your own people that are in your church and build them up, a lot of good evangelism will follow. People will be more prepared to do it. And next week we're going to talk about money in all likelihood. Another topic I hate talking about. <laughs> Let's hope we can try to make it fun. Uh, but with that said, until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.